You know, I've thought about posting a projected schedule of future conversations, but I decided against it, because I think that would take out the element of surprise. For both you, the listener, and me, the interviewer. I like not really knowing who next week's guest will be. I think it adds a sense of variety and randomness to the show, which lends itself to a collage of personalities and expertise I've set out to create of Alaska. Maybe one week I'll be interviewing a rapper, and then the next week I'll be interviewing the head of a soup kitchen. And I think it all just adds to what it means to be an Alaskan. Okay, so on to the company men. We got Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, David North, Crystal Liska, and Derek Adolph. Thank you to all the crude patrons and supporters for believing in this podcast. As always, if you dig this podcast, consider giving it a review on iTunes, telling a friend, or checking it out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. I thought about editing out the beginning of this conversation, but ultimately decided against it. It's graphic, but I think that if I truly practice what I preach, then the last thing I should do is censor Michelle. So here it is. Me and guest host Jared Mayer talked to Michelle Larissa, an ex-stripper from Alaska, and now the queen of weed cuisine, a name given to her by the one and only Anthony Bourdain. Mike is hot. Mike's hot? Mike's hot. Is it recording? It's recording. That's what that means, dude. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! Before, when, when it was just you and I, Michelle, hanging mm-hmm. out here, yeah. we were waiting for, for Jared, and you said you have a pr- pretty distinctive laugh, <laughs> and you told me what it sounded like. Uh, what was that? <laughs> so I try really, really, really hard to stifle my laugh now. You have to catch me off guard to get the full donkiness of my laugh. <laughs> the what? Full donkiness. The donkiness. Okay. Brain. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, <laughs> my friends and I discovered that my laugh sounds like an ejaculating donkey. <laughs> it's very specific. <laughs> oh, it is very specific. And how'd you figure that out? They jerked a donkey off. <laughs> I never thought donkey shows were real until my friends took me to one. <laughs> I was in college. I was going to Texas A&M Kingsville, and I decided to stick around during spring break. So I'm hanging out in my room, and I hear boom, boom, boom on my door. Now, keep in mind, my older brother was a fucking football god there. So he knew a lot of people, and when I started going there, a lot of his football friends wanted to befriend me. These fools showed up at my door and they're like, hey, Alaska, we're taking you to a donkey show. My famous last words as I'm grabbing my purse, my weed, and my sunglasses is, shut the fuck up, that shit ain't real. Donkey shows are real. Holy shit, they're real. Can you explain one to us? The one that you saw. I'm gonna. (laughs) (laughs) So we get down there and we're in Progreso, Mexico. (laughs) We get down there and it's like this 
arena, like a stadium arena. And I still did not believe that my homies were taking me to a fucking donkey show. I thought they were taking me to a bullfight <laughs> just because I grew up fighting. I have, I, I live a normal, like very violent lifestyle, which to me, I find very normal. I don't find it to be different or anything like that. Sure. It's a fighter's lifestyle. So I thought they were taking me to a bullfight. We go in, they're like, we have a first timer. We have a first timer and people are cheering. They're like excited that I'm a first timer. And I'm like, fuck yeah, bull fight. Like I was, all, I was like, a bull fight. Different kind of struggle. Total. <laughs> so then they give us a disclaimer. Once you're inside the stadium, you are not allowed to leave. You, well, you said you wanted to see I it. Now said, gonna make you watch. When it. he said that, I froze in my tracks and I said, "Why?" <laughs> and all of my friends started laughing, and I said, "Why?" And they said, "It's insulting to the performers." Fuck my world. <laughs> so <laughs> we go into this place, and it's this huge stadium, and I was like, "Okay." Bullfight. <laughs> I'm still convincing myself it's a bullfight until we get to our seats. And I was like, why does it stink in here? And everybody in the area started laughing. So we sit down and it reeks in there like straight up badissy. It's disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> what is badissy? Booty, dick, and pussy. It's just awful. It's all of it. It's all, all and, and, and rancid and sour. I'm never going to forget it. Every detail is stuck in my damn brain. <sighs> when the performance starts, it goes dark. It's like doo, dark. All of a sudden, the spotlight beams down into the middle of the room <laughs> and it goes zoo, 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 back and forth. And then it freezes on this woman. No bullshit. This woman's dressed in a completely see-through I Dream of Genie outfit, so you can see everything sagging. <laughs> that broad could have been my grandma. Her titties looked like they were rolled up into the top, so it everything held, but it was like still hanging really low. Okay. <laughs> she danced beautifully. You could tell she used to be a ballerina. She danced beautifully. And then she danced her way to the center doing this beautiful belly dance, doing leaps, laying backs, like just beautiful. <laughs> and then she gets to the middle of the arena and the light, it goes dark again. So then the spotlight comes back out, boom, but it's not on her. It's like a, a, a little away from her. So she's still in the dark and it starts going woof, 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 woof. And it spotlights back on and the forth. other side. Yeah, going back and forth, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And it goes to the other side where the donkey is <laughs> like it was looking for the donkey it was yeah acting like it was the like spotlight doing this big the reveal. real star of like the it show. like it was doing a big reveal okay and it was like as it's doing the back and forth looking for the damn donkey but this fucking donkey looked so proud like <laughs> it's like i'm getting pussy like the oh, no. the donkey was just like chest up head up proud and it started stomping to the beat Oh to the God. middle of the arena, perfectly to beat. Doo -doo, doo -doo. And I'm just like, yo, this shit's like actually a performance. This, this is not a bullfight. <laughs> it's not a bullfight. And I instantly regretted life because I realized donkey shows are real. Oh. 
and I can't leave. <laughs> oh my God. This woman starts dancing her way to the donkey. They bring all the lights up. She starts dancing her way to the donkey. She gets in front of the donkey and the donkey stops, do do, stops down and puts his chin up to the air. And then it looks down at the woman. She's doing the seductive dance in front of the donkey. She grabs her ankle and lifts her leg up and starts rubbing her pussy on the donkey's nose. Oh my gosh. No bullshit. The donkey's what eyes. What was going get, through your mind at that in that moment? I fucking hate all of you. <laughs> <laughs> like I kept glaring over at them because I was just like, I don't even know what to do right like, now. I was I was ready for a violent show. <laughs> this is a whole other animal. You assholes no were being <laughs> honest. Like <laughs> you really meant donkey show. <laughs> This woman does, she does that to the donkey and then donkey's eyes get really big and it gets up on its hind legs. And that's when I started learning things about donkey anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So, so, so. I guess we caught you off guard. (laughs) A donkey's penis has an elbow. I did not know this. Are you sure it wasn't just this specific donkey? A donkey's penis has an elbow. Did you Google more donkey penises afterwards? Hell to the fuck no. Everybody told me every donkey that's performed does that. I I was like. like, If you see one elbowed penis. I think that it's just the norm. (laughs) I don't don't want it. It's kind of like when you finally see a bird dick and you're traumatized. You don't ever want to see that again. When have you seen a bird dick? My cousin sent me a picture. My cousin sent me a picture. It was rude as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. So the whole point of, of this donkey story is you eventually found out. Well, once I found out that the donkey penis has an elbow was because it bent back and kept like moving and aiming. Then it punched into the woman like aimed back and it just boof punched her this woman the whole time the donkey's just railing her is going having sex with her oh yeah okay so is this illegal bestiality is supposed to be illegal everywhere but apparently in mexico yeah i was in mexico i wasn't i wasn't in the u.s i was in mexico for that i was going to school in texas and we crossed the border into mexico what did you tell the um the people at the border, what were you guys were doing? Oh, they don't ask. At that point in time, it wasn't, you could just, all you had to do is just walk through the border. You only had to show your ID when you were coming back at that point in time. There was no passports needed. We were partying at San Padre Island and decided, hey, let's go walk to Mexico too. And because we stopped at San Padre first and I thought, cool, I'm in the clear. I'm not going to a donkey show. And I was like, no, we're still going. And I was like, you got me drunk first. <laughs> I really hated them for I didn't talk to them for a year after this like I'm not joking at all because once that donkey hit into that woman the only sound and I'm not ever gonna forget it this is the only sound she made (laughs) sorry (laughs) I hate my laugh (laughs) she goes Oh my God. It turned into a Catholic chant at that point. (laughs) And it was so long. That donkey was just pounded out. And she just, and her face, she'd look at the crowd. Oh. Oh. 
I'm like, this is insane. But then the donkey came. And everybody sitting with me sat straight up. And I just sulked way low in my seat. And they're like, yo, Alaska. Hey, yo, Alaska. Yo, that's you. And I was like, oh, they hear it too. And I just started crying. Oh, no. And I got up to leave because I was like, that's my fucking life. Do you understand how traumatizing that is to so, hear so you So the donkey come sounded out of like... A nutting donkey. Like <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought I threw my fucking voice. It was awful. Oh my god. <laughs> so that's that. <laughs> this is the most graphic thing that will probably ever be on this podcast. Crazy graphic. <laughs> okay, so so I'm coming into this pretty blind in that I just learned your name yesterday. And I only have a general idea of, of what we'll be talking about here, right? Okay. And you, you've kind of filled me in. Uh, like, we were kind of hanging out here probably like an hour beforehand. Yeah. So you, you kind of helped fill me in on uh, a little bit more of who you are as a person, which, which has been great. But Jared talked to me about uh, approaching it this way. Okay. And, uh, and I agreed. I thought it would be an interesting way to uh, do one of these conversations. So I guess to cut to the chase here, you used to be a stripper, correct? Yes. Okay, and can you give us a little background on that? Um, I started dancing when I was 18. I danced in from 96 to 99 for the showboat in Anchorage and Fairbanks. That was Fairbanks. That club was a shithole. Shit, I made bank. Stupid money. I mean, I was the only drop of flavor, really, in that town besides my girlfriend. Yeah, so. I went up there a while ago with Brandon Baldwin. Uh-huh. And we drove up. He's, he was... um. What are you doing the next couple of days? I was like, I have the next couple of days off. He's like, me too. You want to go to Fairbanks? I was like, fucking what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's just drive up because neither of us have gone up to Fairbanks for a long time. So he's like, yeah, let's just drive up there. So we, we yeah, all right. So we drive up there. So we went to the showboat um, <laughs> and I walked in and I was like, Terry's stepson. And they're like, uh, Terry you. Stallman, your, your stepdad. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, the buzz came out of the back. Shut the fuck uh, up. Yeah, and, and he's like, Jared. When was buzz? this when you went there? Buzz is uh, he he helped uh, work a bunch of the clubs, but he's a DJ. Okay. Uh, that Terry flew up from Vegas, and he started working. Buzz was our one of our managers yeah. also towards the like the end of my time up there because Peter got sick. Yeah. And so Buzz was always around. Is Buzz still up there? I don't know where Buzz is. I haven't talked to him in years. Peter, that man's by the crazy. way, uh, moved to Seattle um, to open a Sin Rock in Seattle. But Peter opened every single one of Terry's clubs. Yeah. Peter's Peter, shit. And who is Peter? His name's uh, – what's his last name? I don't know. Peter's a crazy Greek guy. Yeah, I don't remember um, his last name. I know his dad's name was Agamemnon. <laughs> and whoa. it took me a long time to remember that's that. That's why it's stuck in so my head. So <laughs> Peter and uh, and Tim Lyons um, yeah. left, left Terry, and then they opened Sinrock together. I haven't heard that name in forever. Tim's great. Tim's a great Yeah. Guy. So <laughs> Peter and Tim opened Sinrock. And I would go in there. Um, the to, one here in Anchorage, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, and I would go in there to hang out with them. I'd go talk to them, catch them up on the family and stuff like that. Well, I would hit on the girls. <laughs> <laughs> and I would give them my number. And Peter used to carry a fucking pistol and a shoulder holster. And he goes, Jared, if you don't stop giving your number to my girls, I'm going to shoot your fucking dick off. And I was like, all right, sounds like a party to me. <laughs> um, sounds like Peter. So we go up. Anyway, I loved how protective he was. Yeah. 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 No, he, you know, he's good. He's good with his girls. And then he yeah. he moved down to Seattle to be with his family, and they opened a Senrock down in Seattle. Cool. Yeah. I don't know how involved 
Tim is still with the club, but anyway, okay. I was in Fairbanks with and Buzz is there. He's like, Oh yeah, you and this is your friend Brandon, like hey, come in, everything like that. So we're sitting there and I mean these girls, man. Uh one of them was deaf like super pregnant. <laughs> this is a pregnant stripper? <laughs> yeah. Like soup like obviously pregnant. I mean, like she oh, wow. was some months into it. Honestly, and, pregnant strippers make a lot of money because of guys' fetishes. That is, that's exactly right. That's a hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm. She is, made a lot of money. So, is there is there a time of day that that is more like popular? You For always a hear like stripper? A squad or B squad or whatever, right? <laughs> no, uh, up in Fairbanks, they would have you start working your shift when the club opened at five p.m. and you would get out of there around four a.m. Mm-hmm. Everybody worked the same mm-hmm. shift. Um, on rotations. The, yeah. The pregnant girl, though, because we only had, when I was working there, we had one. The pregnant girl, she was able to start halfway through shift and she would end the night and make bank. Yeah. Pregnant girls make money. Men freaking love that. I thought it was different. <laughs> <laughs> she danced and her water broke on stage. Oh, my what? God. She danced to that extent. I Do you know what song was playing? No. That was so long ago. <laughs> Do you know what song is um, <laughs> Do you think that's a story that she tells her I don't kid? No. I never saw her again. I don't even remember her stage name. Never saw her again. Her water broke on stage. I, she made so much money, yeah. though. Oh, my God. But you saw Buzz. Yeah, so we're sitting in the club. And um, for the record, this is what I'm about to say is not a approved of or common occurrence in the club. But there was a girl who went out and was asking guys if they wanted lap dances, which is common because uh-huh. that's how they make their bank. And this guy, this guy in front of me was probably like – I'm, I'm probably like 20 years old. This guy is probably 45, balding on top, glasses, and he's – do you want a lap dance? He's like, no. She goes, uh, you want a blowjob? And oh, he's shit. like, no. And she's like, okay. And then she moves on to the next – and then she looks me dead in the eye. And then she moves on. And I was like, I'm kind of insulted. She didn't even ask me if I wanted a blowjob. Like, I, I kind of like. I mean, I, I I don't think that I would have paid for that, but I wouldn't. I don't know. Did she know uh, who you were? Did she know? No, she no, 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 okay. no, no. So I was just like, I'm that guy. You're gonna ask that guy. It's nice to be included. And I just wanted a part of. I just wanted to be part of the experience. I guess. <laughs> anyway, so that night, Buzz is like, um, where do you guys stand? And we're like, well, we're not really – we just drove up for, for funsies. And he was like, well, why don't you stay in the club in the um, in the dressing room, and uh, you know, in the, in the break room or whatever. And I was like, I don't want to spend the night in a strip club. Like, I like strip clubs. I grew up in them. Uh-huh. But I don't want to – I don't think so. Ah. And he's like, okay. So Brandon and I drove back that night. As we're pulling out of the parking lot, there's no stop signs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he just pulls right out into the parking lot, no stop, right on the street. Immediately get pulled over by a cop. Immediately. Cock comes over and he's like, How much have you been drinking tonight? Brandon's like, Fucking nothing. There's a, no alcohol right. there. Yes, there's it's no juice alcohol. Bar. The yeah. And also, we're underage, but yeah. uh, he's like, No, yeah. He's like, I haven't been drinking anything. He's like, Why don't you step out for a minute? So he, <laughs> this cop, Brandon has told me this story, like pulls him out of the car and he's like, um, Gives him a little sobriety test and he's uh-huh. like, All right, gives him a breathalyzer. He goes, Um, if you can guess what you blow on the breathalyzer to the to the dot, I'll let you off for free. And he's like, fucking 0.0? Yeah. So the cop gives him a breathalyzer, and he looks at it, and he goes, holy shit, you're shit-faced. And Brandon's like, what? 
And he's like, no, nah, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, do you want me to, um, do you want to like fuck with your friend and say we found like a hooker in the trunk? And Brandon's like, no. <laughs> oh my I just want to go. So and he goes, he goes, just so you know, you're supposed to pause when you pull out of the thing. He's like, I just, you know, we get a lot of people that come out of, the, they go to the club drunk okay. and then they, or whatever. And he's like, so you're supposed to pause when you pull out onto the street. That's why I pulled you over. Like, what oh, year was this? My God. Dude, this is probably 10 years ago. Because this seems like uh, that dude didn't have a body cam on. Oh, no. Absolutely not. No, no. This is, I mean, it's Fairbanks first off. So they're probably bored as shit anyway. And like they're just looking to pump the numbers up. But he just like, he's sitting out there on like a weekday next to the fucking club. The only strip club in Fairbanks is like. Well, they didn't pause enough. Let's just let's just see. Let's just roll the dice on this let's one. Spice up my yeah. night. <laughs> hey, you want me to fuck with your friend? <laughs> so, Michelle, do you remember the, oh, the first? I did have something interesting to add to Jared's story, though. Um, he was offering for you to stay. It's right below the club. It's housing. There's yeah. bunk beds and stuff. It's a damn good thing you didn't stay down there because <laughs> it's really haunted, really, really haunted. And it's haunted by this male ghost who's very egotistical, very narcissistic, but he hates men in his area. Are you telling me that I missed out on some potential homoerotic ghost sex? Oh, holy yes. No, 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 no. It, he would have been attacking you, oh, not, okay. not, not sex. He would have been attacking you in your sleep. He does not like men in his area down there. He loves the women. He shows up in every one of our pictures. I have so many Polaroids with him standing behind all of us girls taking pictures together. What does he look like? This tall, slender man, very well kept. Um, his hair, you could tell his hair was slicked and kind of like a pompadour, and he wore a vest with a t-shirt but it was he looked very fucking sharp um and yeah he would be in every picture. had he hurt anybody before only guys that would go downstairs like he wouldn't hurt hurt them he would terrorize them but girls he'd show up to girls girls were afraid like if you're if you're sensitive to spirits and scared of them you're gonna see him and he's gonna fuck with you but the other girls he would just show up and we we're just like oh there's john was that his name, John? That's what we called him. Okay. I, I have a really brief story, and it's only because he used the word terrorize. But Terry, <laughs> when Cameron was young, my brother, uh -huh. um, would pretend that he was kidnapping Cameron oh, God. in the car. <laughs> I'm going to kidnap you. I'm terrorizing you. <laughs> and Cameron would freak the fuck out. And I was just like, what is going on right now? <laughs> <laughs> And of course, nothing ever came of it. But he was just like he was just on a whim sometimes, just fuck with my younger brother and just pretend that it. we were gonna abscond to fucking Canada or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, John did not like men in his realm. He loved the women. So yeah, it's a good thing y'all didn't stay there. You wouldn't have slept good. Well, yeah. So that first day that that you worked mm -hmm. as a as a stripper, mm -hmm. can you take me through that? Yeah. Um, so I was living with my first girlfriend at the time and I wasn't dancing and I would notice her come home with just fucking bags of money. And I would watch her dance around the house and stuff and she's boring as shit. So <laughs> I didn't understand like where was this loot coming from if you're you're dancing on stage. <laughs> so we made a bet. We made a bet that I could make more money than her in one night. And she, she super cocky because she had a lot of regulars and she was like, there's no way you could. And I'm like, eh, I'm a gymnast. 
I grew up dancing and martial arts. I could climb the fuck out of a pole. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would be that hard. I was like, and I can actually move. So I think I would do much better than you because you're boring as shit. She showed me her routine. Did you get along with your roommate? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, was my, she was my girlfriend. Okay. She was my girlfriend, but she was boring. I'm honest. <laughs> Sexy as fuck. Uh, just this Italian little powerhouse, sexy as fuck, but boring. Like I was like, people are entertained by this. Granted, though, once I actually got to see her on stage, stage, and she's sexy. <laughs> I could see why she made the money she made. But my first time touching that stage, I made two grand. My first song, I made $2,000. And it was funny because Terry walked over and Terry threw $100 at me. And he threw 100 at me in once. And he goes, this is going to motivate the crowd. And then I climbed up the pole and he goes, no one needs motivation, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he was so impressed. He did not believe me that I'd never danced before. That was at the boat, the, the big boat. The big pole, the big yeah. boat, when it was the actual boat. It used to be um, <laughs> where the Peanut Farm Sports Extension is. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a big club. It was bigger than Bush at the time. It had three stages all with poles yeah and uh um then the owners of the peanut farm wanted to reclaim the property there was a huge lawsuit in the news and everything terry yeah. lost and they basically bulldozed the old club they tore that enough. beautiful yeah. building down it looked like a big wooden boat it Wait, was so pretty i lost my retainer in that club <laughs> had, wait for your mouth yeah okay i was uh downstairs so they did they did a, a few things down there but downstairs they had the offices and they had a place for kids because they did they did a lot of stuff in the club. They did um dry, they did uh, take turns babysitting. Mm -hmm. They did a meetings there sometimes. Mm -hmm. They did um, <clears throat> uh, every Christmas he would Terry would team up with uh, Mother Lawrence. Is that right? The chair the charity it was like a, um for for kids that didn't have homes or whatever. Okay, I don't remember the name of the charity. Mother, but... Yeah, I think it was Mother Lawrence. Yeah, did um a lot of like food drives and stuff like that. So he would team up every Christmas with Mother Lawrence and mm -hmm. would go a bunch of people bring their kids and he'd spend thousands of dollars in toys to give the kids. So downstairs they had a a room for kids for of the employees or whatever. Mm -hmm. We watch TV and cartoons and shit and had some toys, and um I. I must have had like a snack or something like that. So I took my retainer out and then I fucking lost it in the strip club. <laughs> my grandmother was pissed. Um, Your grandmother wasn't wasn't pissed that you were in a strip club and you were a child? I mean, she knew Terry. Okay. So, I mean, I don't think she approved, but she was more like, that's the way it's going to be with, with Terry. So Kids are safe there. Kids were very yeah. safe there. There was never an issue of it because a lot of – you have to keep in mind a lot of dancers are parents. Yeah. A lot of dancers are moms. Right. Okay. Yeah. And we touched we, on that a little bit the last Yeah, in your podcast. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of dancers are moms. Their moms are their students. A lot of people don't realize that. And when it would come to if – if there was a lot of kids down there, we would rotate. We'd take turns. So we would do our stage set, and we'd cool down from our stage set. We'd go clean off, and then we'd cool down from our stage set, hanging out with the kids for a little while. And then we would just – it was a it was a nice, easy, simple rotation. But, I mean, that was, like, way back in the day. There's no back way in, in hell the they could do that stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, Jim Gord's office. Do you, do you know? remember Jim? I miss – yeah, Jim was awesome. He's my godfather. Um, he passed away a few years ago. He was a good man. He was a good man. Yeah, so first time I ever tasted liquor was Jim Gord. He was having a house party at Terry's place, and uh, he was drinking something. And I was like, what is that? And he goes, it's elephant juice. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah. He's like, you drink it, it makes you strong. 
And I was like, let me try it. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope, <laughs> no, not for me. Anyway, Jim uh, had his office downstairs, and he had that picture. Of, I think Brooke. Mm-hmm. On uh, she's uh, doing this like I mean it was, be- like a beautiful like uh, it was a nude spread. She's on a, this carpet, but it's like this beautiful like black room with like this this purpley black like uh, fur carpet or some shit like that. And um, every time I went in there, he's like, stop looking at my wife. <laughs> That's what Jim would tell you? Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard not to, though. It just... Was that really his wife? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, dude, she was a knockout. It was beautiful, yeah. beautiful print. Um, it wasn't a, a purple for... It was like a It was like a velour yeah. piece. It wasn't even carpet. It was just like velour plush. Piece like, of art. She, she, well, no, what she was laying on. It was like this big velour cushion. Oh, okay, cushion. okay. And she's very um, light-complexioned. Mm-hmm. And it was a dark spread, so she really the stood contrast out on was yeah. awesome. Yeah. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting back to your first day, do you remember that? Yes. So after I got off the stage, I couldn't believe how much money was all over the stage, and I looked down at it, and my girl. She was she watched the whole thing because she was working that night, too, and she was pissed. And I had two other people helping me. They wouldn't let the girls help me scoop my money up. So security and Terry helping me scoop mm-hmm. all my money up. Terry helped me count my money over in the shower show room. Mm-hmm. So we're in there, and we're laying everything out. We're counting it up. And he goes, you made 2700 in two songs. So is this the profession you want to choose? And I was like, you know, I can make it a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) I can make it a hobby. I did this off of a bet, but you know what? Fuck it. (laughs) And I danced for Terry in Anchorage for three months. And then he sent me up to Fairbanks because they needed some excitement. I made so much. I will not disclose how much money I made up there, but I made so much. You can't even tell us like on on a day, on a good day. (laughs) No. Uh-uh. I'm not trying to get in Michelle trouble. Michelle is, is shaking her head at me. <laughs> She's not going to disclose this amount. <laughs> yeah. Was, so was there an audition this was, or anything like that? Or was this the audition, like your first time? That was my audition. Okay, okay. Yeah. This is yeah. probably 90s, early This 2000s. was 96 yeah. when there was real money yep. in the strip clubs. Mm-hmm. You had... BP at its original like introduction to Alaska. You had Boeing up here still. We um, there was a lot of guys with Microsoft up here. There was a lot of technology being brought up up here. It's when a lot of development was happening. And Boeing though was fucking huge money wise up in Fairbanks, not in Anchorage, but in Fairbanks. Mm-hmm. And so those guys are going to the strip club. Oh yeah, they're yeah. making bank. Up in Fairbanks, they're bored. There's nothing really to do. Um, you could either go to Reflections, which had alcohol. Or you could go to the showboat, which had no alcohol. And there was a lot of guys that would prefer the showboat because they wouldn't come home smelling like booze. So the showboat stayed busy from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., nonstop, constant busy, constant business, unless it was really cold outside. The club industry in the 90s was wild. It was insane. What what was it like? Shootouts. (laughs) Guns? Fucking shootouts. Yeah, Yeah. when Terry came up and, um, I mean, this is... It, 60s, 70s. It was really um, the Wild West. This is when they started, but just in general, Anchorage in general, and like the from the seventies through until about two thousand was fucking crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. but a lot of the a lot of that crime stuff filtered through the clubs. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of cocaine, a lot of um, just gang violence, and I'm not talking like Bloods and Crips. I'm talking like biker gangs, biker like gangs, mob, scary mob shit. shit. Before I was born, back in like seventies, eighties, especially Terry 
built that club from the ground up mm-hmm. and became like a self-made millionaire. And but you had contention from like the Bush. You had contention in general with a lot of like gang stuff. And so I mean, it was a he, yeah, he was a, he was an outlaw. He was I mean he mm-hmm. was he was like an OG Alaskan outlaw very much for so. a long time, like mm-hmm. in in and out of the news all the time. And um, uh, you know, then he got family oriented and tried to curb a lot of that. But that's see, my it just team? it's hovered around my life most right. of my life. Yeah. No, yeah. um, like the outlaw part of it, like a lot of people did not agree with the things that Terry would do. Mm-hmm. They didn't agree with stuff that would come out of his mouth. And I never, ever gave a fuck about what anybody would have to say because I knew that man loved me. Mm-hmm. I knew that man always had my well-being in, in mind. And every time I think about him, I'm just like, that man fucking loved me. I don't care what anybody fucking says. Ever. Ever. That, that was, you remember the Michelle Linehan trial? Mm-hmm. It was, uh, what was she, a dancer, like... At Bush. Killed her boyfriend, something like that. Mm-hmm. She killed her boyfriend? Mm-hmm. It was okay. a self-defense trial. Mm-hmm. And um, Terry put up the Big Timber Motel at the time, as a, or tried to, as collateral for her to, to help the case. And I was walking across the street by the Diamond Center. Like, you know where that Starbucks is? Yeah. Yeah, on like uh, Old Seward or whatever. Okay. I was walking across the street, and I... <laughs> happened across the street with two people that were discussing the Linehan trial Mm -hmm. and they were talking about how shitty Terry was. I hated that. And I I just had, I mean, I wasn't going to interject that I like had to listen to that because there's Mm -hmm. this perception Mm -hmm. and I'm like, and you know, and I've, I've written about it and I've talked about it, about how he's a gray area man did a lot of dark shit, but he also was like, did a lot of generous, you know, giving to the poor, giving to kids, very family oriented, loves his family, loves his employees, loves his partners. And I mean, he had a way about him that was aggressive, but um, he's complicated. It always frustrated me when people had like one set view when it was. You know, in your podcast, Jared, you you talk about what a complicated guy he is. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of like, I kind of meditated on that. And I've thought about it because I think we all know complicated people in that in that way and I think that the way that I kind of categorized your stepdad Terry at least in my head knowing you hearing you talk about him is that he he had a big heart but the thing was is is the atmosphere that he was in you have to be a hard person mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I, absolutely mm-hmm. did you ever read Susie's piece on him I haven't no no I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta find it. I gotta dig it up and give it to you okay um it was titled Susie Santa- Buchanan, the, yeah, yeah. the editor of the press, right? At one point, which is how we met. Yeah, was Santa she wears a black hat. Black hat. Yeah, yeah. Santa wears a black hat, and, and, and actually it's about her going up to the house up on the hillside. Oh, um, I interviewed her for a piece that I did a while back, and she's. I asked her uh, what was a the story that she's most proud of, or something that that comes out in her, and that was the story. He had it framed in his den. Um. And it came off like a kind of a piece of shit in that story too. But I mean, it was honest. It was an honest. It's story. Honest though. He exactly. went. Up, I mean, I mean, she went up to the house, and uh, uh, it was in the den. And he talks about how like he pulled someone in the parking lot to beat the shit out of. Or he, he did. I think he said he did pull someone in the parking lot to beat the shit out of him because they disagreed about the weather. And the guy like basically called Terry a liar about the weather. And then as he's regaling her with the story. Camp, my brother, as a child, like walked in, sat up on his 
knees. And then Terry's like on the phone making calls to get things ready for the Christmas season and everything like that because he was going to do the gifts with Mother Lawrence. Uh-huh. And so that's where the Santa wears a black hat comes in is because he was basically planning this Christmas gift thing for all these kids. Yeah. But he was that's just a so cool. tough motherfucker. It's it's like one of those uh, those scenes you see with like this big-hearted like mafioso. You know, they're, they're doing yeah. all this like crazy hard shit but you know, on the other side of the spectrum, like they're they're sitting there and they're hanging out with the kids, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're telling them stories, mm-hmm. and you know they're this father figure. Yeah, I had a stroke in '97. Um, I was four four and a half months pregnant, and I had a stroke. My we discovered my body just can't handle pregnancy. But when I had my stroke, Terry made sure that I did not stress at all through my recovery. He would send fifteen hundred dollars a week. And he would constantly visit or send me presents. He sent me so many baby gifts. He made sure I was not stressed out through that because stress made me more and more sick. And if I had, he would check up on me and he'd be like, okay, so how are you feeling today? And I would tell him, you sound like you're stressed. I'm coming over. And he would just show up. Mm. My mom at first was very uncomfortable. Like those bikers showing up at the house to check As, as bodyguards? Pardon me? As bodyguards? I mean, why were they at the house? Just to check on her. They just, well, just to check up. on you. Terry okay, would cool. send them. He would send them with food. With gifts, he would just to send them. And it was because he knew I was a very loyal person. Mm. I was a loyal person. I I did not like drama. I stopped a lot of drama. I was I was a not a problem um starter, I was a problem solver, is what he <laughs> called me. <laughs> I was his knockout with the knockout smile and knockout punch. Yeah. So he loved me. <laughs> but his generosity, it always stuck in my head always stuck in my head. When he passed away, it made me really sad to not be able to ever get another phone call saying, so are you good? And then he would get real loud in my ear, good! (laughs) (laughs) But he always started off quiet to make sure my head wasn't hurting first because I've had a chronic migraine since my stroke in 97. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I miss him a lot, man. He was, uh, I mean, he was one of my dads. I mean, I can't, I can't overstate how much of an influence he had on me as a father figure, even though I wasn't there a lot. Like, I would go up, spend the night with my siblings and everything like that, but he was a constant influence in my life. I spent a lot of time in the clubs. I spent a lot of time with him. Um, I talked about taking over the boat when it was uh, behind the Big Timber when he moved it over there. Okay. I liked that club a lot. I never got to make it into that one. Um, I got back here when it was being closed down. It was a sh- I mean that was when he was back and forth with using and not using and so it, it okay. went he was cutting costs a lot so he was like hiring really shitty people, but the club itself when he first got it was so nice. It was like all top end furniture. It was a flat floor stage with a pole. Nice. It was the girls, you know, were sweet. They were nice. Mm-hmm. He had a, a cutting edge fucking jukebox in there and it was tight. And I was like, I I want to get like I wanted to get in the industry. It's never been about titillation or scintillation for me with the club because it's a business. Mm -hmm. And I fucking love how the girls hustle, man. I mean, they that's what I love is the energy. Oh, dude, they're fucking cutthroat, man. They they find every way to make a buck. I dig it, dude. It's like that's tight. He taught me a lot of good and bad things, like what to do, what not to do. Mm-hmm. You know, through his actions and stuff like that. And he was hard. And he made me harder. Not always in the healthiest way. But, I mean, like, everything about anything. I mean, like, my my dad was not around a lot. 
my actual like my, my actual dad mm-hmm. and terry was around at least in the periphery a lot more and so i learned a lot from him I will never forget one of the things that he said to me because Terry loved it. I came into the strip club with Pimp Game. I came into the strip strip club after watching my family members with their girls and watching like their friends also with their girls because I grew up around players and pimps and I half my family is cops, the other half are all gangsters. Like actual pimps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I went into the strip club with full pimp game. I knew it's all about conversation. Everything is conversation. (laughs) I swear some of the most busted women in there made so much money because their conversation game was so tight. My thing is I can banter like a motherfucker. I can banter with the best of them, but I also could talk sports because I have a ton of brothers. So I can talk sports. I could talk fighting. You want to talk about a crazy ass subject? I got you. It got to a point where I, I would charge guys to sit at the table and just bullshit with them. And Which, Terry watched that. To put that in perspective, the yeah. only time that guys are usually spending money is when they're buying drinks or a lap dance. Uh-huh. So to, or at the stage. Or at the stage. Yeah, at, at the tip bar. So to just charge for a conversation is like a whole other extra step of game. Because they're not getting fuck all out of it. Like, they're not anything like that. At Cinerock, they have a... um. The girls have a like a drink minimum that they need to hit each mm-hmm. night. They got to sell a certain And this is currently, right? Uh, that was, was when like, I was yeah. dancing, too. We had okay. to get a drink minimum of... The guy is buying us a, a drink, a dancer's you, drink from the bar. Because you pay at the house. So they're like, mm-hmm. we want to sell a certain amount of drinks, and then anything over that you get to keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to sell a certain amount of dances. We take a cut, and then anything over that you get a certain amount of keep. So they have a tally. Yeah. Um, so when I would go into the club, I'd always buy you know, drinks for the girls. Um, but to charge for nothing is like a whole other step of the game. They loved my game. They loved how I would talk to them. They loved my conversation. They loved that I would make them laugh because I am a funny bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So it got to a point I would charge them $20 a song to keep me at the table talking to them because I tell them time is money. I could be walking around talking to the others fool and getting in their wallet. So if you want me to stay here, you're going to have to drop money on the table. And we would get into our conversations and every song, bam, they drop another 20 down and we'd all keep sitting there talking. And Terry would wonder how I would have so much money at the end of the night. And he saw me go to the couches maybe once or twice. I always made a ton of money on stage. But I only go to the couches like few times. Now, I barely had to do dances. And it's because I was running game at those tables. <laughs> so here's a hypothetical for you. If, say, you see a guy, right? Mm-hmm. You see a guy just sitting sitting down and you're like, all right, I'm going to go run some game. I, I want to charge him for a conversation. Like, how do you start that conversation? I always make just simple conversation, how are you, introduce myself, and then I find out their interests. Um, And every time if it went to sports, I'd shit on their team. (laughs) Shit on their team. Because that engages them immediately. Instantly. And it brings up their ego and they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I got to – it instantly makes them feel extra masculine. You make a man feel like a man. You make a man laugh. You can get in that wallet. And here's the thing, thing too, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, but – you you definitely have guys that go to the club because they want to see naked women, but yes. I would say the bulk of them go because they're lonely. Very and lonely. And they're looking for a connection, which is why they cling to the drinks. They cling to the dances because they want someone to just spend 
you can uh, tell yeah, the lonely ones. With. Yeah. You can tell the lonely ones. They are very solemn at their table. They don't really try to direct your attention towards them. They're just there at the table. So those guys, I would go and sit on their lap and give them a big hug. Because the guys are going. And I would talk to them and just hug them as I spoke to them. And that was my end. So you're like yeah. also kind of a therapist. Oh, yeah. I'm a healer. I'm, I'm, very, I'm an empath and I'm a healer. I'm very much so a healer. I believe that hugs are a positive transfer of energy. And still to this day, I help people with my hugs. It's kind of cool. The guys that go in with a bunch of flash, I mean, like military guys a lot will go in and they'll spend a shitload of money. Um, but they're they're loud about it. They're obnoxious about Childish. it. Childish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but And this, this might sound weird, but more than once, um, I've been talking to one of the dancers and They'll talk about a regular that comes in who is there because like their their daughter passed away or something like that, oh. and so they'll go there because like one of the girls. It's not even a sex. It's not a sexual thing. It's but one of the girls like reminds them of their daughter, and so they'll they'll buy multiple drinks over like an hour or two mm-hmm. um, because they just want to sit and talk to someone. Yeah, and it's um, it's great. So yeah, so no clubs are like a. Um, a lot of game on the dancer end of it where they're making a bunch of money, but like it's more complicated i think than people realize as a, as a business as you know the clientele like it's not just about the sexual it's very factor. therapeutic for mm-hmm. a lot yeah. there's very, a lot more a lot more humanity involved than i think uh the average person might think it's about connection mm-hmm. it's about it's a hundred percent about connection yeah. for, for for i'd say the majority of people that go in is they're not going in there because they're just getting the cheap thrill it's either going in there because they're lonely or they're you know they're desperate for some kind of well, those are regulars. Like there yeah. are guys that mm-hmm. come in there for the weekend oh, sure. for the cheap thrill, but the regulars, there's specific reasons why they show up. Whether it be a kink fetish, whatever. A lot of the times it was it was for camaraderie. They were lonely. They needed someone to talk to, or they didn't know how to talk to women, so they were learning how to. That was what one man used to. He would I I would come to his table. He'd give me a hundred dollars, and I would just teach him how to banter with a woman, and he was terrified of women terrified of women so the strip club was his therapy his therapist told him to go to the strip club and he almost fired his therapist so <laughs> so, so what kind you, of advice is that exactly <laughs> did you ever feel objectified at all michelle no 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 i it cracks me up i'm sorry but any girl that ever tries to say that they felt objectified as a stripper is stupid you put yourself in that position we are objects of affection sorry you're there to ogle us if you ever feel objectified bitch you in the wrong field like <laughs> seriously but i went into that field to objectify man and, and tell me what that yeah, looks like elaborate on that <laughs> i went in there to objectify men because i went in there basically because guys always treat women like they're less than they always treat women like you know they are it no women hold the power pussy is mm-hmm. power Period, point blank. Pussy is fucking power. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> right? <laughs> on a crude t-shirt? Yeah. It was... So, Fuck, dude, now, sell bank. I tell you what. It's it's true. Pussy is Like, pussy is power. <laughs> um, when I was growing up, I wasn't really treated like I was sexy. I grew up around a bunch of racist people. I was even taught that my big, perfect, round ass was wrong. And then... Racist uh, toward... Towards black women. I was the only black girl at the school that I grew up at. And they were awful to me. Completely awful to me. And all of a sudden, 
there's all these people that are like in awe of my body because I was amazingly in physical. I had an eight pack. I had like, I could go like that and see every muscle just ripple, just Twist turn arm. my arm yeah. and you can see every muscle ripple. I had insane body control. They used to call me showboat contortionist in Anchorage. <laughs> did you have a, did you have a stripper nickname? Eminem. Eminem has been my nickname my whole life. And so I took it into the strip club too. <laughs> and is there a story behind that? Um, Eminem. Well, just because there was five Michelles in our class and I was, the one with two M's in their name, so they called me Eminem after this that. Is that good chocolate? Oh, I was the only <laughs> chocolate in the class. <laughs> I was the only chocolate in the class. I was that chocolate dropping much all the salt. No. <laughs> um, later through my dancing career, I changed my name to Victoria because Eminem was super juvenile, and I, I actually was Madam Victoria because I was running bitches. Mm -hmm. So that's that's why I called myself that. So what does that look like? Um, I once I got too sick to dance, I became a house mom. Yeah, and so I couldn't I couldn't dance anymore after I had an after my second stroke. It's, it's it, because my brain's too big for my skull is why we find a, out now. It's a management so. position, basically. It's kind of like, <laughs> and it's usually it's the bearer of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 you're basically the manager, and they usually like to have it be a woman because they're dealing with women. Mm -hmm. as the dancers but she's the one that makes sure that you're getting your drink totals in your dance totals in she handles a lot of the money but mm -hmm. the, the downside of that is that as she's but she's the also girls, making sure that each girl is following rules right that's the hard part but and then the, the downside of that is like because you're that intermediary management position you get shit on a lot by the owners who want to know why they're not making more money or why this isn't happening or mm -hmm. why the fucking bar isn't super clean or whatever the case may be which is something that taught me marketing and networking uh -huh. and how to bring more people into the bar because yeah, when they would start complaining a lot of the times i would tell them hire cuter bitches <laughs> Dude, Straight up. I mean, I mean <laughs> dude, house moms are savvy, man. I mean, that's a good position to have. And it's translatable to a lot of different, like, You get a lot of tips as a house mom. I mean, you're you're running a store. It's the same thing as, like, a branch manager at a fucking mm -hmm. bank, except that you have to deal with women more that are drama. in a dangerous position of work. Yeah. So you're dealing with more danger, more money, a lot more, like, kind of shady shit. A lot so of headache, learn, though, because every girl comes to you with their problem, mm -hmm. no matter how minute it might be. So what's the difference between, in your opinion, dealing with men and women? Well, with the men, it was easier. It was easier to objectify and deal with the men just because you. it's it's like you're putting them in a trance. In the In the strip club, the men just wanted someone to be nice to them. And a lot of times if the men came in there thinking that they're going to objectify women, you just turn the tables on them and make mm -hmm. them your bitch. And every single time it's... What are you doing here then? Exactly. Like, why aren't you oh, at home Okay, so Mr. King Dingling, why are you paying for a bitch on your lap? Like, <laughs> yeah. it always it always worked out because guys would come in there to be talked down to a lot, a lot. I don't understand that. <laughs> I still don't. <laughs> I think it's because a lot of guys that are in like high... Um, responsibility positions okay they're they're used to being in control all the time and it's a high stress job so they want to not be in control anymore they want someone so to tell them so that's why there's cops that are secret subs yeah i i had some conversations what is that what's a what's a secret sub a submissive. sub and a dom submissive oh okay okay yeah with a dom a dom you have a lot of authority figures that do that i i have had some conversations with i don't know anybody so i can't get them on the podcast but i've had some conversations with some dominatrixes where the common theme for the most part, 
is that it's usually people that are in high responsibility issues that want to give up that control and give up. Because it's stressful. They, right. w- they want to relieve that stress. Right. And mm-hmm. so they, they, they're... It's a fantasy to not have control. Dude, it sucks being a boss and having to do, like, make sure that everyone's doing their position and do everything like that. So at that point, they're just like, uh, like, it's, it's, it is a full stress relief where you just don't have to worry about anything mm-hmm. anymore. You don't have, you're not the one giving orders. You don't have to yeah. make sure that everyone's following the orders. And so then the, the, dominatrixes or the dominant personalities come in and they do that i mean i used to date a dominatrix she was cool yeah she was she didn't do any of that shit to me (laughs) she was actually very submissive for me it's um when you talk about sex work there's not always sex involved it's sexuality mostly Mm -hmm. so you have a lot of similarities between strip clubs and brothels and uh, the dominatrix relationship Mm -hmm. okay and um but the the themes are similar it's about connection for one. It's about uh, giving up control. It's about this and that. Um, connection is a huge. I, I would say that's probably like the biggest thing. If you're going out to a brothel to sleep with a woman, um, it's usually because there's something else going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's it's usually because you're stressed out about something or whatever. You don't just step out because you just want to pay to have sex with a woman. That's mm-hmm. just. Nobody likes to spend money that they don't have to. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's usually like they want some kind of connection or whatever. And the same thing is when you go to the club, you're buying for a drink. You're paying $10 for a fucking un-al- like a non-alcoholic drink for a girl that's not going to go home with you yeah. because you want to spend 15 minutes talking to somebody. You know, you're going to a dominatrix because like you want to give up control. You need to feel a certain kind of way. Is, mm-hmm. is there also that element of, of uh, say, the guy goes in there, buys the drink. I mean – there is that that little element of maybe she will go home with me. For me personally, I can only speak for me personally and have some theories about other people. But when I went in, it was always like I never went to the tip bar. I never bought a lap dance. It's not that's not the thrill for me. I I go in and I recognize these girls are hustlers. My mom was a dancer. Mm-hmm. I grew up with dancers. I dated dancers. Yeah. So I know they're in there for the, to make the buck. And if I go in there, I'm just having a good time. I want to relax. So I want to see what these girls are doing. I want to see, I genuinely want to see what they're up to. So I'll buy a drink and then they get a 15 minute reprieve from someone that might be in there just to look at them naked. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they might be in there trying to get them home. I'm not. Um, if it's a girl that I like, maybe I'll slip her my number. But then I, I, I never ask for a girl's number. I slip her my number and then all the power is on her. Mm-hmm. If she wants to call me, she can. And uh, mostly they did not. But a few times they did. <laughs> but but like that was not what I went in for. You know, it would always be like at the end of the conversation. Like, I really like you. I'm glad we had the conversation. If you want to hang out more, then here's this. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly just to give the girls a break from guys that might have, you know, that might think that they're going to take the girl home. But those girls, man, I mean, they're fucking actresses of the highest caliber. Oh, there's so many guys that think that they have a chance with a stripper, and I'm like, you believe in Santa Claus too, don't you? <laughs> Dude, I'm t- I mean, that's their whole. It's magic what they do in there. They make you feel like the we only person in the world. We sell a fantasy is mm-hmm. what we used to do. Like when I used to dance, that's all it was was selling an idea, selling a fantasy, finding out what they desire, making them picture it. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. All Mesmerizing. Was I think you said that earlier. Easy. I think that's a pretty accurate description. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it cracks me up the way that guys would just say the right combination of words, give a smile and a wink. They're putty. They have the routine. And a lot of guys don't realize that because they have this ego. But once you have 
a big booty and titties up in your face, smiling at you, making you feel like a man, I'm sorry, but you're going to bow a lot of times. I have a question for you that has not come up with me and Cody when we were talking about this okay. episode, but um, drug use on stage. Whew. <laughs> because I, I dated a girl um, that was dancing at Cinerock, and okay. um, she had never danced before. She was from uh, Minnesota. And she came up because she has some family out in the valley, and she applied for a bunch of jobs. And Sandrock was the only one. And she's like, "Well, I've never done it. I might try it." She's gorgeous, gorgeous, uh-huh. definitely out of my league. Um, <laughs> but she was really shy in general on stage. Obviously, not so much. But like mm-hmm. when she actually was talking to people, she very like um, insecure, kind of shy. And so uh, within like a couple weeks working there, she started taking ecstasy. I was just about yep. to say that. Is that the stage. preferred drug? Uh, yeah, ecstasy or coke. Yeah, uh-huh, I think okay. ecstasy because your body is just feeling all sorts of things, so you feel a lot more sensual and mm-hmm. everything like that. Cocaine because it keeps you alert. There was girls that like cocaine because they were lazy to begin with. <laughs> like the, I'm being like super honest, they were stupid and lazy to begin with. So coke was their go-to. The girls that did ecstasy. <laughs> that they could work that mm-hmm. night yeah <laughs> we had girls over on the couches like rubbing themselves <gasps> rubbing all over themselves gasping for air because they're so high like ecstasy is huge in strip clubs mm-hmm. so my yeah so i guess my question is i mean i know what my experience is and and discussing with dancers and stuff like that but would you say that it's pretty regular for... very well back in my day it was very regular mm-hmm. and they used to shake the girls down all poor peter <laughs> poor Peter. Like, seriously, fucking A. No, I, I saw him Peter. deal with some girls that could not work because they were fucked up. He got to a point where he would search our shit when we show up at work. Mm-hmm. It never was like that. I'd like go first. through your purse. And, mm-hmm. okay. The last year of dancing was he'd go through our, our belongings twice was, a night. It was big at Sin Rock. It was big. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up at Showboat up in Fairbanks, it was really big. Like, cocaine was rampant. Ecstasy was rampant. Acid. Oh, my gosh. We had was... one girl that tried to dance on acid. <laughs> she dove off the stage. <laughs> like, she didn't know what the hell she was doing. How many people were in the crowd? <laughs> it was a packed night. Oh, yeah. She landed on three guys. Like, she just dove off the stage. Did they, they even were... bother trying to catch her? Or... Oh, yeah. They caught her. Okay. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? She didn't understand it either. She goes, how did I get over here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Drugs and strip clubs go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of girls go in there and they're, like you said, shy, nervous, don't know what they're doing. And they use that to bring down their inhibitions. Unfortunately, that's where girls get lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where girls get strung out. That's where girls get caught up in the strip game. Because then it gets habitual. Mm-hmm. Because you feel you need that to perform. You feel you need that to talk to customers. You don't feel confident without it. I I really do not suggest girls that are dancing to ever mix drugs in with your dancing because you're not the same dancer. Mm-hmm. Your money is always going to be spotty after that because you don't keep your same hustle. Handle it like a business. Clear head. Clear mind focused goal and you do well you handle it like a popularity contest or a party Mm -hmm. you start to just be a broke bitch that are trying to look cute all the time what would you tell an 18 year old who is trying to get into stripping would you would you like advocate it would you kind of talk her out of it or what take your ass to school Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) like seriously if you're 18 and you're trying to get into stripping 
unless you have a strong mind, just put your ass in school. You're you're not. I I don't recommend eighteen year olds to start dancing. I twenty one. If you're twenty one, I always say yeah, go for it. Once you're twenty one, you start to really learn things about life. Like eighteen for me. I'm lucky I had such a business mind at such a young age because I watched girls get swallowed. If you're 21, 22, you're going to know within that first year or two if that's something you want to do. Exactly. And and you're usually working in clubs that serve booze too. Mm-hmm. So then you're going to know like the full gamut of – I mean you have yeah. a lot of non-alcoholic clubs that have a certain kind of um, clientele. But when you're working in like a like a – bigger club with booze and stuff you're gonna get a lot more attitudes and a lot more behaviors and stuff mm-hmm. in there kind of like baptism by fire kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, i like that i mean it's a quick buck it is a quick buck but i mean even as a career you got what maybe maybe 15 20 years like as a as a viable money-making interest i am shocked that there's still women dancing today that used to dance with me when i was yeah back in my day and it's just, granted, shit, they still look good, but I, I'm like, I am so mommyfied. Like, <laughs> I mean, like actresses in Hollywood, right? Like mm-hmm. they reach a certain age and then they get shunted into roles. It's it's a, definitely a sexist industry, very much so. Um, and stripping is no different, right? And so at a certain point, it's like, okay, well, you're either going to just quit altogether, or not make any money, or you're going to transition to like a house mom role. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't. No, you got in that early, <laughs> but it's like, um, so yeah, if you're going to like, if you're 18 and you're looking for a career, you want to look for like a career. That's a sustainable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always like some kind of time limit or a ceiling on dancing. I uh, like, if you do go into it at 18, yes, that means your body's like perfectly high and tight, <laughs> but I really do suggest waiting until 21. Um, if you go into it at 18, have a plan. Mm. Have a plan set. Have another distraction so you have something else to focus on so you didn't get caught up in that full lifestyle. Um, the girls that had a balance in life where the strip club was just their secret life and then they would grow into college and working on the, on the other side of their life. Mm-hmm. Like those girls, I watched them have a great balance. They never got swallowed up by the club because they had goals to constantly reach for. That girl I was talking about mm-hmm. that was from Minnesota, she ended up uh, – she worked that summer at Sun Rock, three months. She paid for – a full year of college in Scotland. <laughs> By yeah. your estimate, Michelle, how much money. would you make over a summer? <laughs> um, back in the day, oh my God. I don't want to say the number out loud. I had a friend that made six grand a week, like consistently. She never, she had, she was smart. She had regulars that she put on contract. I was so in awe of it. She put them on, on contract. So these guys were allotted. They had to come certain times of the week. That's over and spend a hundred grand a, cer- a year. And spend a certain amount of money. She made six grand a week. Yeah. Nonstop. Jeez. And, and did she do this just one one summer, one year, and then kind of- She's still dancing. Oh, she's still dancing? She's still dancing. Okay. She's still, she is, and I asked her, I was like, so how's your clientele? Is? She goes, I have half of them on contract. Oh, she still does it. So she's fine. It's super- <laughs> Weird, almost like looking at the evolution of the dance industry from like the seventies, eighties, nineties to yeah. like today. It's so boring now. Yeah, it's so boring now. Why There's is that? So do you think? little money in the club now. There's the economy is way lower. There's there's not as much money going around. Um, there's 
it's not as much of an open, free, wild mentality party mm. mentality anymore. Mm-hmm. Because growing up, I mean, it was it was wild up here. Well, Alaska when it was developing was fucking crazy. It was a there was a bar fall. on Tudor. There was a lot of money here. Yeah, a lot of money, a lot of money, a lot of cocaine. It was this was the last cocaine. wild west, I think. Yeah. really. Because it was like, um, you know, we didn't become a state until what, 50, 49? 59. 59. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My grandparents moved up here from Montana in the 40s. And, but you had like dirt roads. You had, you know, all these new businesses starting mm-hmm. up and yeah, it turned yeah. into a fucking free for all. Terry got out of prison, came up here in like the 70s, started a strip club. That was a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. And then you had a lot of people that were running away from, uh, I don't law. know. Yeah, the law, basically. Alaska down was the state to come to if you're running from the law. I mean, there's a reason why it's called the last frontier. Yeah. And it was straight up the fucking Wild West. Like, I mean, there were shootings on the street, fucking car bombs and shit. This was like 1930 Chicago in the 70s. You yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, even in, yeah. into the 80s and 90s, there was a bar on Lake, Lake Otis and Tudor called the AK Corral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Constant shootouts, constant bodies in the back of it. Like there was all. That's why it's closed. It got closed, of course. <laughs> but it was like my dad was pretty was appropriate name and, too. Oh yeah. oh yeah, my dad was a big mover and shaker at that bar. Terry was a big mover and shaker at that bar. It was the spot, but that really sets the tone of how Anchorage was. It was just wild. Mm-hmm. It was it was much more wild back then. Um, at that point in time, there was women that would be able to be outside of the Bush Company and see through negligees waving men into the bar. That's how it was back then. So like Amsterdam. Pretty much. Mm. It was wild. When I danced, there was real money around. There was a real market for strippers. Nobody talks about strip clubs anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, it's, it's weird because we're in this place where we've developed a lot more um, where we start to get – a little bit more open with um, sexuality and nudity and everything like that. But at the same time, like the United States of America is a very prudish country. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So strip clubs become, it's not like a, um, it's no longer like this niche kind of cool, edgy thing to do. It's just a thing that exists. And we're like, okay, well, girls go naked. And then at the same time, we're living in a place where there's still this really conservative right wing uh, movement where they're trying to restrict what women can do with their bodies and mm-hmm. do this and sort of stuff. And it's, it's sort of like women are property kind of mentality. Um, and so like uh, stripping now, it's it's weird how puritanical and fucking old school this mentality has been um, going through an undercurrent. It's like yeah. almost a divide in America mm-hmm. where it's like half of them are just like, acknowledge women as people. And the other <laughs> half are like, no, they need to do a certain thing and dress a certain way. And, but Strip clubs get kind of lost somewhere in the middle there. Well, well, well look at look at a place like uh, Portland where strip clubs are pretty normalized. That's what I was about to get into is the strip industry doesn't do as well anymore because it's so normalized. You've got women dancing on poles in music videos. You've got people pole dancing at events. You have people, where was it? Was it Italy that they had a, a, a guy dressed as an elf doing pole routines? What? It's got right? It's gotten completely. <laughs> I haven't seen this. I haven't either. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but it's gotten so normalized that going to the strip club isn't taboo. It's not edgy. You're not being... Um, you're not, what, uh, what was it my mom always said? Um, guys that go to the strip club, they just want to feel like they're outlaws. They want to feel like they're doing something sneaky. No, they shouldn't. And yeah. yeah. And it's so normalized now. It's just like, eh, 
everyone can see boobs wherever they go now. Body parts aren't hidden as much anymore. So I, I just, I feel bad for people in the stripping industry now because it's not what it used to be. So why, so hearing, hearing about kind of the Wild West days and how much money there was, that's an incentive to get into it, right? Back then. Mm-hmm. Is there any oh, incentive to get yes. into it now? The because thrill, there, because there are know. there are women getting you know they're yeah. starting their strip career right in this moment like what what is the reason for that what is the incentive for it's that it's probably like where you're at it's yeah be part some of it women too. get into it because they know they have game yeah um, like some of the girls I know that are dancing right now that are doing pretty well is because they fine as a motherfucker and they got game they have good business minds um, I know some that have gone into it just because they wanted attention which is what a lot of girls do. A lot of girls join because they lack attention. There's a huge part of dancing that's finding ways to get people to give you your money mm-hmm. or their money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's – that's. I mean, dude, it's a hustle. It's so much fun. It, <laughs> it was. It was so much fun. But, I mean, like you look at a place like L.A. Or, or even Portland. Oh, uh, uh, L.A., Las Vegas where you have like big clubs, nice clubs. Yeah. You know those are money people walking through there. Oh, yeah. So there's incentive there. Mm-hmm. You look at a place like Alaska, it's not really – like that anymore it you get, you get some be. yeah it it's like i it, you know i wrote this down uh as we were we were all talking you know there's this correlation between money and people going to the strip club so mm-hmm. it's like it, the the more expendable cash we have the more willing we are to Part go it. to places yeah. like strip clubs but then there's also for a lot of different people it's kind of this moral conundrum right mm-hmm. it's like it's like i'm gonna go do this thing that maybe i don't completely agree with I think it's an ex. It's an excess thing. You want to live to an excess. People are stressed out all the fucking time. I was making good money when I was working at like AT and T, and I blow it all on booze and food because I wanted to feel luxurious. I wanted things that like I wanted to spoil myself. I wanted mm-hmm. to f- like this nice meal that was prepared for me. I wanted to go out and just drink and just relax and lower my inhibitions. And I think that a lot of the same thing, strip clubs are not unique in that. They're just a part of a pattern, mm-hmm. which is strip clubs, bars, restaurants. When you get a lot of money after like being stressed out all the time, you blow it on things that make you feel thrilled. Right. And it's, I mean, you see the same people that go spend a thousand dollars at the fucking club or the same people at the bar buying rounds for drinks for everyone there mm-hmm. yep. because they just want to be like the biggest man in the room, just throwing it fucking around. It's, it's, immaterial to them it's pretty primal too it's a big dick mentality yeah it's that full big dick mentality it's all big dick ego (laughs) that's why there's guys that go up to the stage with a huge handful of ones and just want to throw it all high up in the air so everyone can see that he threw all that money like (laughs) and nobody gives a fuck nobody gives a fuck but for him (laughs) it fed his ego so he feels great and the girls don't give a fuck they they make him a mark Mm-hmm. He's. They know that he's got money now. That all he does is fucking put himself out there to be taken advantage of, which he's is instant beautiful. target. Do, 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 do. Beautiful scoping target. Target locked. <laughs> so looking back, I mean, you kind of alluded to this just a second ago, but looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently? I would have been more careful of who I befriended. Mm-hmm. Most definitely would have made, and I would have saved my money. <laughs> <laughs> Did you blow it at the strip club? I blew it on <laughs> I blew it on bitches, mm-hmm. my brothers, their bitches, and traveling. <laughs> at least so. travel, you got some out of that. Yeah. That's I'm nice. a really good sister, so I helped my brothers trick out. And how many brothers do you have again? <laughs> I have my two blood brothers and then seventeen adopted. 
19 altogether. Uh-huh. I'm the only girl. I have steps. I have an amazing stepsister. And on my dad's side, I have two half-sisters. But up here, yeah, 19 brothers. Only girl. Sucked. <laughs> Sucked. That was, an, uh, like, honestly, that was another thing. Like, it was a major release for me to be at a strip club and be able to get male attention. I, I wasn't getting that growing up. Because you're like, just one of the boys. I, I was, I swore <laughs> up and down I was a boy with really pretty hair. Like, I'd beat the shit out of anybody. <laughs> I was, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't tough. You couldn't tell me that I couldn't keep up. And then I'll, and I was never, ever, ever treated like I was cute. Ever, ever, ever. And then my girlfriend and I, when I, st when I started dancing, I was like, holy shit, people actually like me. She was like, I keep telling you you're a dime. <laughs> So Michelle, you mentioned you went from body healer to herbal healer. Is that is that how you put it? Yeah. So definitely. what do you and you were talking about that in reference to what you do now, right? Yes, I am a one of the top cannabis chefs. Um, I'm Chef Bombshell, and I fly all over and teach people the medicinal purposes of cannabis, how to properly cook your your cannabis with your food. It's not just made for sweets. You can do anything and everything. Sugar is not healing. It actually harms your body far more. So I never suggest people to make anything sweet with cannabis. It's all savory in my world. And I, I go into competitions and kick ass doing that. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. While you were here, right before we started this podcast, you actually had to run out really quick and give somebody... Some medicine, right? Um, medicated strawberry lube. So you're always working, I guess is my point. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm always, I, I don't say working just because I'm, the industry here doesn't recognize me and I'm not allowed to charge people yet for it. So I'm helping people okay. all the time, all the time, which is awesome because I like knowing that I can help people with their pain. My pain's never going to be able to go away. I can barely regulate it. And that's just because I have Chiari malformation of the brain. My brain's herniated out of the base of my skull, and it's extremely painful. And I use edibles to help me with that. Um, I've already died four times. I've had two strokes. I haven't died since I took control of my own medicine with cannabis. And I help other people do that now, too. But the strawberry lube has been for some people life-changing um i've been helping some people that are going through transition and when your genitalia is changing it's very very painful and my strawberry lube will numb that whole area for them i have women that dip their tampons with it and use that for their cramps and then also <laughs> use it for lube <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a really fun, long orgasm. <laughs> I'm quite proud. But I can make anything and everything you can possibly imagine culinary-wise beautifully with weed. You won't taste it. But I also can make body butters, bath salts, lubes, all that fun stuff too. Soap, shampoo, all that. So you're a chef then? Yes. What is one of your favorite dishes? Oh, I get asked that all the time. <laughs> I'm a meat and potatoes girl. So steak is like, huh, for me, I love steak. But for myself, um, I my signature dish is a soups. Um, one of my best soups is Itsoguda. It's a creamy mm -hmm. potato leek soup with reindeer sausage bisque mm -hmm. topped with a two-year-aged two -year Gouda. 
and my mac and cheese mac bites. Mac and cheese bites, yep. My <laughs> mac and cheese bites made people go fucking crazy. I can do 20 different flavors of mac and cheese. And I people went nuts over my mac can and cheese bites. Can somebody hire you for like an event or yeah. as a chef? Yeah. I'll, I um I do I, I go to people's homes a lot and set their meal plans. Um I have I've done weddings, I've done a lot of birthday parties. People always a lot of people invite me to the party so that I'll fucking cook. <laughs> <laughs> Happens all the time. But my dumb ass is stoned and normally going, okay, I'll play in the kitchen. So it's like, you won. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the compliment sandwich. They, they give you a compliment and then expect something else in return. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. Like, you're such a great chef. Push a basket of food towards me. <laughs> I used to order her mac and cheese bites all of the time. All of the time. And the potato bites, too. Potato bites are good. Diced potatoes, Mm -hmm. um, cream, cheese, and herbs wrapped up in a prosciutto cup, baked to crispy perfection. It was, like, honestly, it's stoner crack. Like, everybody goes (laughs) crazy over it. The mac and cheese bites were drunk people crack, and the potato bites are stoner crack. (laughs) But I I specialized in (laughs) bite-sized meals. I could take a full meal and condense it down to a perfect little bite size. And so my company's Bombshell Bites. And your chef bombshell, and mm-hmm. you you said uh, you told me earlier the queen of stoner cuisine. Yes, <laughs> I was given that nickname from Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain gave you that nickname. Yeah, he gave me that nickname back in two thousand nine. It was a long time before I was cooking for masses of people. Can you tell us that story? Um, he he loved my edibles. Well, I met Tony in two thousand and one. He was one of the judges at a competition that I won. And we became friends after that. We kept contact. But when I started cooking with weed more prevalently and letting people know I was cooking with weed, I started sending things to Tony to try. And he loved them. Always loved them. He was, Tony was a cool friend. Like, I miss him. I miss him greatly. I was, my, one of my proudest moments of being his friend was when he came up to Denali to visit me when I was the pastry chef up there and he and Otavia came up for a week and spent time out the camp man they were it was it was so cool because I didn't ever get to spend a lot of time with him just I talked to him a lot but my my treats he always referred to me as his queen of stoner cuisine Mm -hmm. and I'm getting it tattooed on me with his signature one of the common themes through this is like kind of like dropping knowledge on people you know it's Mm -hmm. like spitting game yeah (laughs) what would you say to the the incoming stripper we we alluded to like okay what would you tell that person that's going to get into the stripper industry and you said not 18 21 we kind of went over that, yeah. that age like what would you don't make friends with your customers your mm. clientele's your clientele keep that life completely separate completely separate never mix the worlds when you mix the worlds shit gets hazy never mix the worlds treat it like a business always Always have a plan. Always have a goal that you're reaching. Always recite a dollar amount. Speak it into existence. It really does come to you. And there's an awesome little ditty that I used to say that I've taught quite a few girls that dance. And it's... (laughs) I'm like, I guess I'll say it out loud. (laughs) You look a man deep in his eyes or you just look in that table's direction as you're approaching it and just speak it into existence. Give a dollar amount to the universe. Money, money, come to me. Send me on a spending spree. Say the amount, recite it, believe it. It fucking happens. And every girl that I've taught that to that actually believes it as they say it, they make bank. 
it's actually a, it's a it's a Wiccan chant. It's an it's an incantation. So it's like yeah, I'm actually like drawing a spell over someone as I'm. And I feel like giving you money right now for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This, this has was been fun. <laughs> you can support local grassroots journalism at patreon.com slash crude magazine. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a platform that makes it easy for you to support content that matters to our community for as little as $1 a month. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Intro music was produced by Alcoda Beats. 